Hey folks, we have some exciting news to tell y'all about. The Bad Rolling Project has partnered with Expedition 44 and Rival Nations to start the one-of-a-kind No Key But Christ Network. This network will consist of content creators with the focus of Jesus is King and no other. For more information, visit nokeymutchristnetwork.com. Now back to the show. Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey folks, who is fit to rule? Is it your neighbor? Is it you? Who is fit to rule over your neighbor? Who is fit to rule over you? Better yet, who is fit to be king? Who is fit to be your king? Today I've welcomed Ed Manelli back to the show, and we're going to discuss his article for the badroman.com titled Fit to Be King. Ed, how are you doing? I'm doing well. So during the course of this project, we've invited folks to write for our blog. And you took the bait like a starving catfish. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a harsh way. I appreciate it because I appreciate the content and I appreciate you taking the time to, to write for us. But you have, have what, what is this? Your, is this your third or, or second or third article? I think it's my third or fourth, I think. I love this article because I think it's so interesting, especially leading up to like the midterms coming up. And people wanting to clamor for a new king because they want their team to win. But who exactly is fit to be king? We should start there with in your article. You wanted to start with like Deuteronomy 17, right? What launched me and got me to write this specific article was last November. I was, you know, I only watch network TV during football season and I was watching football. I'm one of those, one of my own, you know, foot, the NFL has no idea how many people have decided to check out because of its, you know, how woke it's got. So I'm one of the last guys out of all my friends that's still watching it. Most of them have quit watching it. It was election season. It was November and I'd have to look at the calendar to see what it was, but it was like, you know, all those election ads were coming through every commercial break. And I was just sitting there being bombarded by because I don't watch TV. And so I don't see any of that stuff except during football season. And I was just like, man, none of these people are fit to be king. Why am I being bombarded with this? And why in the world would I vote for what, you know, the lesser of two evil, that whole argument, because it's still evil and, and all of that. And so it just so happened that the next morning after watching football that night, I was in my, you know, I try to read the Bible every year and I was reading Deuteronomy 17 that morning. And when you get to the second half of the chapter, it has, you know, the little subheading that people have added to the Bible where it says laws concerning Israel's king. Now, this is before they've even entered the promised land. It's giving out these qualifications for who they should pick to be king because God's warning me. He's like, I know you're stupid. I know when you get up there, you're going to want a king just like everybody else. But when you do, it's God who should pick your king, not you. And so, of course, you know, we know that 
gets violated right off the bat. They they want to pick their king. But and then it says, right, you know, if you go if you start at verse 16, the king must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt to acquire many horses. So that's really a, you know, he shouldn't be pining away for warfare and battle. But when you go back and you start reading Kings, what does each one of them do? They're buying chariots all around. They're all trying to expand their army. And then, of course, driving people to go back to Egypt. You know, that's because Egypt was like the land of plenty because they had the Nile River and food. And, and a bad king is going to cause you know bad harvests. And so people would then want to go back to Egypt and live in subjugation. And, you know, and then you get to 17, he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. And, you, you know, that's just a shot right across the bow of Israel's kings. David had a bunch of wives. Solomon, the second king, he had so many wives and concubines that it's, you know, I consider it, a, I can't even imagine 400. Could you imagine having concubines like that? Good grief, 400. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine it? I got one wife, and it's, I can't find I can't find one woman to tolerate me. One to tolerate me. Try to make four hundred or get four hundred to tolerate me. No, <laughs> no, thank you. That sounds awful. Absolutely, it's terrible. But you know, he's got hundreds of concubines and then wives. And of course, what's he do? He chases after each one. And then the biggest part for that really caught me when I was reading this the day after it says. You know, if you go down to verse 18, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he shall learn to fear the Lord by keeping all his commandments. And so it's like, okay, so this this godly king should keep a, and now you notice it says approved by the priest. So it's not that the king is picking this, it's priest class is saying, okay, you need to read this king and then make a copy and carry it with you and study it every day. And I was like, and so when I was, I was like, man, imagine if one of our presidents or a senator or a mayor, any of those people, when the day they took office said, you know what, I promise I'm going to make a handwritten copy of the New Testament and I'm going to carry it with me. It kind of is. It's funny because when you think when you, when you say say it like that, because I used to be a constitutionalist. So people, they, they swear an oath to this United States Constitution, all of them, even mayors. I mean, all the way down the line. Right. And none of them follow it. Not one of them follow this. I mean, this start this started with the very first president of the United States of America. George Washington violated that oath. Why would we think that they're going to follow God's law if they can't even follow the law that they wrote down on paper? Yeah, no doubt about it. That's, that's it, I just laugh at people because I'm like, and, and here's the other thing when you think about that. Why are they still making laws? <laughs> you should start. Their whole job should be, let me get rid of laws. We don't need all these laws, and yet they still have sessions and make no, make more law. What what law hasn't been made so far? I don't know. Nobody even knows all the laws. I don't even think they know all the laws. Well, I don't think it's even possible. You'd have to be one of those people with a perfect memory, and then just dedicate your life to reading all that garbage. And then, of course, you know all all of them that countermand each other. How could you? How would you justify that and go through it? That's why I say they should spend all their day. They should be tied to a chair and forced with to eat nothing but bread and water and just repeal laws all day long. That's about all they're good for. If we could make that happen, yeah, 
Let's put them in office. Make them drink, eat bread, water, and repeal laws. Yeah, absolutely. I'd vote for them. <laughs> See, I don't even think I would. I don't even think I'd go that far. I'd be like, I don't know. Because <laughs> along the way, sometimes I think they're going to they're gonna break loose of that chair. Sure. And then go make more laws. There's there's nothing that confines these people. That That's what's so disturbing about people that want to put people in power over their neighbor. It doesn't make any sense to me. Do you honestly think that they're going to take you seriously? Do you think that, that they're going to w- keep the promises that they say on the campaign trail? Come on. At some point, you got to be like, hang on. This isn't working. Let's get back to Jesus. Well, I was about 31 when I figured out that they all just made promises and never followed through. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to continue doing this and being made a fool by thinking, oh, yeah, as long as this guy gets in here, it's going to fix this problem. And then, of course, you know, if you had a divided Senate or a divided, you know, if, if one branch or one side didn't have all three elements between the House and the Senate and then the White House, they, they always say, well, we can't do anything because we need to get, you know, whichever element they're missing. And then sometimes all three line up for one side or the other, and they still wouldn't do anything good. They only did more bad. And I was like, no, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I'm done with all this, and I won't play. One of my favorite arguments from people is, like, we got to get a conservative president in so we can get some conservative uh, Supreme Court justices. Like, that's why you're voting? That is why you're voting so you get somebody – that you think should be as a, a Supreme Court justice? Come on. Well, There's got to be more of a reason to vote than that. And basically what it's come down to is people are voting out of fear. Well, and they want to force people. Well, yeah. And then you turn around, and you, then you're like, well, these people that you're voting for do the same thing that those other people are doing. Absolutely. It's like, it, it, it's mind-blowing. When, we can, when you can finally take a step back and look and like, I know you said you were 31 when it, when, it, when it dawned on you, man. It was, was it 20, 22? It was uh, 2018. I was 43 when it dawned on me. It took me a lot longer, you know, because I, I spent so much time clamoring for the Republican Party to get the Republicans in because we needed more Christians in office, right? We need to get those folks in so we could fix everything by, with, by adding more laws that are Christ-like. I'm like, <laughs> But when you take a step back and look at it, that is, that is stupid. It doesn't make any sense why people even think that way anymore. Well, it's the double-mindedness of man. So I didn't preach this morning. And so I sat in a service at a, at a large, well-known church. And today, you know, it's we're, what, two weeks away from July 4th, roughly? And the service happened to be on 1 John. And part of his big thing was, and the you know the message was great as far as you know we shouldn't have we should put nothing before Christ we should only worship Him we shouldn't worship the world or all the elements of the world and I, and I looked at my wife sitting right next to me and, and she tried to look away from me because she knew what I was going to say I was like you wait <laughs> because they'd already said I was like in two weeks they're celebrating the United States. And he was invalidating every single thing he's talking about today because they're having a whole service to celebrate the United States and worship the government and how great it is being an American. And I'm like, you just had an entire service today where you said we shouldn't worship the things of the world, but only the kingdom. 
And now you're talking about how great it is to be an American. And, and I'm like, you see, you can't have it both ways. But that's how the American church is. It's a double-minded church. It, it just doesn't see it. Well, you're better than me because I, I would have got up and walked out. I, I, I have a real hard time going to church these days. And I haven't been in, in several months. And I've been looking into some like uh, Orthodox churches because I'm trying to get back to the early church as close as I can. The problem I'm running into with the Orthodox church is they 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 seem to have locked in with Constantine. <laughs> yeah, that was the whole change of everything. They become a state church, and, and I just I can't get past that. That 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 has bothered me. I was talking to my friend Paul about it. We have these Zoom meetings in our out of our discussion group. We do uh, Zoom meetings once a month. And I was talking to my friend Paul about it. He goes, you should be stumbling over that because he, he goes, he goes, I'm having a trouble. I'm having trouble with it. And it has not changed. I mean, even, you know, even the Baptist, all of them have some kind of way of uh, being locked into the state. It is so disappointing. It is. Well, this is why I'm a pulpit fill right now. And I'm not a full-time pastor anymore because I don't agree with, you know, the worship of the state and the churches I've pastored have been too much on to, you know, trying to worship both sides. And, and I haven't been able to do it, and I won't do it. And so I'm just full in pulpits or filling pulpits. Hey, folks, Craig here. And I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors had no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page, and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in-depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. All right, let's get back to your article. So you went through Deuteronomy. Yes, sir. Do you want to talk about Timothy 3, 10 through 17? Because that you mentioned that right off, the, right off the bat, too, as well in your article. You want to talk about that a little bit? You know, I was just making a comment right there about how Scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction, and training in righteousness, because I had seen all that, and my, and my mind was— you know, fouled by that earthliness of the concept of voting and picking these leaders. And then I came right that morning and had Deuteronomy 17. I was like, golly, look at how scripture just reoriented and fixed my way of thinking again and, and got me, you know, right back here to stop thinking, well, we just need somebody who's better than this guy or that guy. No. I don't need any of those people. All I need is Jesus. He's the only one fit to be king. The only one. Why do you think Christians run to the voting booth? What is going on here? One, they're indoctrinated to think that it's their civic duty and their Christian responsibility. And so this is ingrained in them in public school that you have to vote. And you don't, it's not like you get to pick who you're voting for. You're only picking between the horses that they put in front of you. And so you're picking from, you know, the most depraved individuals in the country are running for office. And then, but you've been told your entire life that it's your civic duty to do it. And then, so Christians think, you know, they just, for whatever purpose, they twist the Romans verse about having to follow leaders. And the, instead of following the leaders in the church, the leaders in the church have failed 
the Christians in the pulpit, or I mean, in the pews, to think that, wait a minute, you need to be worried about these earthly matters instead of the heavenly matters and the kingdom matters. And so people are just confused. They prefer thinking about the worldly events. And I, I run across this with libertarians as well, too, because they feel like they could do something through the state to stop tyranny, to slow down the tyranny. And they, they're going to, it's about the message. We're going to get the message out about liberty and, and all this garbage. And I'm like, you're doing it through the state. That doesn't make any sense. Didn't Jesus tell us that he set us free? And you're, you're, you're expecting the state to do that? I mean, come on. Where are we at at this point in, in, in this country? And I can't speak for other countries. I can speak for the United States. Where are we at right now in this country that we think that anything's going to change? I think we're watching the fall of the empire in real time. If you look at what's going on around us right now, we are seeing this happen right before our eyes. Let it fall. I don't, I don't, at this point, I don't care. Let it, let it fall. I don't need them because all they've done is made things worse for everybody. You know, we went back to like right pre-COVID when, when that was just starting a lot of anarchists, and I'll even uh, give libertarians some credits on this too, were saying, hang on a second. Everything the state touches, they screw up. Why the hell are you going out there and putting more people in power? Why don't you just walk away? I just, I can't, for the life of me, I cannot understand why people continue to do this. It's insanity. Well, I think I can explain it for you. Okay, please do, because this has been driving me crazy lately. I talk to people all the time about this at work, and I was like, are you not paying attention to what the hell's going on in front of you right before your eyes? Well, yeah, if you think about it like being in the Babylonian captivity, then it makes sense. So when you think so when Judah and the southern kingdom were removed and taken into Babylonian captivity, what did they do? They were, you know, they're told, "Hey, go live like the Babylonians, do what they're doing." You know, survive for the next 40 years and then it's going to there's going to be a restoration. You're, you're, but if you look at Daniel 1 verse 8, there's four guys Meshach, Abednego, etc. You know, <laughs> Daniel and his buddies, Daniel and his three pals say, "No, we're not going to eat the king's food." And they ask the jailer, "Hey, can, can, or the, the, not the jailer, but they ask the you know the guy who's providing him food, can you just bring us vegetables? We don't want to eat the king's food. It's going to make us unhealthy." And he's like, "Oh no, but if you get sick, then the king's." And he's like, "Don't worry, just get for a week. Let us do this, and if it's not working out, then we'll you know we'll come back." They refused to eat the king's food. Every other exiled Israelite was eating the king's food. These four didn't do it. And so they were spared. Everybody else started getting sick, looking, you know, unhealthy, but these four didn't do it. So when you look at the United States right now, Christians are living under captivity. We're in Babylonian captivity, and most people are eating the king's food. They have said, you know what? I'm just going to continue doing what I have to do to get by. And so if that means I got to eat this stuff over here, I've got to vote over there and I've got to do this, then they're going to keep doing it. Instead, you know, Daniel doesn't do it. Daniel says, you know, he continues worshiping God after they convinced the king to pass a law that you can't worship anybody but the king. Well, then they bust in and they see Daniel in there worshiping God. And they're like, king, didn't you pass this rule that you had to, 
follow that you could only worship you. And he's like, I did. And whatever the king says goes. And they're like, well, Daniel's over there. And the king's like, all right, get that far furnace going. And that, and what they throw him and his buddies in the furnace. They don't get burned up. Daniel throughout the whole time. And so it's this remnant idea. There's always a handful of people that aren't eating the king's food, that aren't worshiping the king. And you're probably one of them. I'm one of them. And we're spread throughout the country as little tiny beacons of light amongst all the other believers who are eating the king's food and trying to, you know, what do they say? When in Rome, be Roman. You know, what they do in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, that's what all the Christians are doing. They're like, well, when you're in the United States, you be an American. And I'm saying, no, when you're in the United States, you're still a Christian. Doesn't matter what country you're in. If you're in Ukraine, you're a Christian first before you're a Ukraine. If you're in Russia, you're a Christian. You're not a Russian, you're a Christian. But we have subjugated our real identity in Jesus underneath the identity of a flag and whatever the national government over us is. And so we are a fractured people and we're isolated. So there you go. Does that that make you feel any better or not? Not really, because... (laughs) (laughs) No, I get what you're saying. But you, you said something there about we're, we're, we're these tiny beacons of light spread across the country, right? It reminds me, I, I saw this, this uh, quote the other day on Facebook, and it said, and I'm going to paraphrase this, basically it says the people that were dancing seemed to be insane because they were the only ones that could hear the music. And so, we, like I said, I'm paraphrasing. I'm going to get that wrong. Somebody send me an email or a message and tell me exactly what that quote says because I, I probably just, I know I just screwed that up. But... When I think about it this way, you said that we're these tiny, shiny lights, but man, we're not perceived as shiny lights. We're perceived as insane. You're going against the grain, Ed. You're going against the grain. You're going against the uh, what everybody else is doing. I got told the other day at work that you don't have a reason to complain because you don't even vote. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing ever. I said, you, you don't have a reason to complain. You asked for all of this. You asked for every bit of tyranny that you're getting. I didn't. I I opted out. I walked away. Well, if, unfortunately, and so, you know, the moral majority in the 70s created this Christian voting block. And then the Republican Party co-opted them. And so Christians have become, you know, sing, well, multiple. At one point, they were... You know, they voted because they were afraid of the godless communists. You, I mean, you're a little bit younger than me, but of those godless communists, we have to vote and we're fighting them because they're, you know, all that was was a way to galvanize Christians to get them in the voting booth and to vote Republican. And then, of course, after 1973, you had another single topic that was used to get Christians in the voting booth. You could be the worst Republican in the world, but if you said you were against abortion, Christians would line up and vote for you every single time. I did it. (laughs) I did it. That's exactly what got me to voting was the abortion issue. That is exactly why I got involved in 2000 when George W. Bush ran. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what team I was on, but I knew that Republicans were speaking against abortion, and they sucked me in, sucked me in with that. But what was it, nine months later, 9-11 happens? And then I turned into this vicious neocon. Well, you're, at least you didn't go and join the army. I tried. I tried. I ain't gonna lie. Me and a buddy at at, uh, at church that I was going to at the time, we went to sign up for the National Guard in Arkansas. 
he got accepted. They rejected me because I was four pounds overweight. Four pounds. They said, you can go join the Marines. I was like, I'm not trying to do this full time. I just want to go shoot somebody in the face because they knocked down some buildings in New York City. That's all I was thinking. My mom tells me to this day, she goes, I'm so thankful for those extra four pounds. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I bet you are too. I am too to this day. But man, I was so disappointed. And I was talking to him not long. Like he went and did his tour in, I think it was Afghanistan. He said that as soon as his boots hit the ground, he was involved in a firefight. As soon as he hit the ground, he was involved in a firefight. I said, man, that sounds terrifying. But our whole reason was we're going to go join the Army. We're going to go join the National Guard so we can preach the gospel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. That was, our, that was our reasoning. Well, unfortunately, you know, July 4th, as I said, is coming up here in a couple of weeks. And I don't know, this is going to run at, at some point. But, you know, the, those holidays are stationed throughout the year. And the church becomes giant worshipers of the state in the military in war each one of those holidays and it becomes a very hard place to be i remember sitting in, in a southern baptist uh church service one day and i can't remember which holiday we were celebrating but they had all the service members stand up so we could applaud them and thank them for their service and then we stood up and pledged allegiance to the flag right there in church it it, it, it seemed normal to me and I talk about this quite a bit on the show. I've, I've, I've told this story so much on the show, and I apologize for repeating myself, but it's exactly what's going to happen July 4th. It's going to happen next Memorial Day. It's going to happen Veterans Day. It's going to happen on all of them. And it, they, somebody asked me one time, they said, do you think that the state has infiltrated the church? I said, 100%. No doubt. It goes all the way back to Constantine. If you look at how the early church behaved, and how the church is today, it changed when they got involved with the state. Key Giles' book, Jesus Untangled. When they got entangled with the state, that's when all this started. And it's continuously gotten worse. Yeah, it's it was, you know, I got saved when I was in the army. And we were in a bit, you know, we were in a military town, an army town. And we were going to a local church that was, I mean, it was, all about the military because you know you're in this military town and i look at it and we weren't there we didn't stay in that church but maybe five six months and i look at it now and i'm like it's a miracle that i ever got saved you know because when you think about where my mindset was because it was all about going overseas and killing people and the thing that changed me was I, I started reading the Bible. I was like, wait a minute. Every single thing I believe is wrong. There's nothing that I believe that I was taught to believe that is actually accurate or correct in the way of thinking that I should have. And I had to drop all those bad habits and all those thoughts. And it's, you know, it, and I still, to this day, you know, there something will creep in. And I'll be like, okay, there's there's another one of those worldly thoughts that I've been ingrained with. I gotta I gotta correct that. But you know, again, going right back, why do Christians vote? Why do they do it? Because they have cut their teeth on the state. They're raised to worship it. They are taught, you know, oh, a good conservative. You're gonna have to salute that flag. You're gonna stop whatever you're doing when the national anthem's played and turn towards it and render a salute and sing the national anthem and pledge your allegiance. And if you're not any of those things, you can't be a good Christian. There's no way. Yeah, it's so disappointing. 
go back through your article because I want to get back to that because it's such a great read. And I hope people that are listening right now will go back to our website, look up Fit to be King by Ian, because this is a, it's a great read. But one of the, there, you have questions throughout this article. One of them is, why would any Christian throw their support behind men and women who clamor to do all the things God says kings should not do? Why? <laughs> I know. I, I, as I say, they just, they have, they don't see how it's counter to our faith to worship the state and ask the state to do all these things. They think that, you know, you've got to ask, you got to have a big, powerful state that runs rampant across. It, it's really, I mean, what does, what do Christians in the United States think about the rest of the world when we think it's okay to sell as many weapons as we can to Ukraine so they can kill Russians with them? When we can supply weapons and we celebrate these weapons deals. Remember when Donald Trump sold those weapons to the Saudis and how it was trumpeted? Oh, I don't remember what the dollar figure was. Something like $50 billion or something like that. Donald Trump sold $50 billion worth of Boeing weapons to the Saudi Arabians. We didn't talk. Trump said it keeps, it keeps Americans employed. <laughs> there you go. And, and I, when I was talking to uh, Scott Horton, he mentioned exactly that. And he said, that's garbage. To think that that keeps people employed in America is garbage. Killing foreigners has become our national pastime. Yes. It reminds me of a quote by Tupac. He said they got they got money they got money to go to war but they can't feed the poor. Absolutely. Think about that for a second. We've got we can we can spend send billions of dollars to Ukraine for their self defense, right? But we can't even we can't even use that money to feed people in our own country. What the hell is going on here? And why are you supporting it? Why are you as a Christian? And I'm screaming in my microphone right now. <laughs> why are you as a Christian right now supporting that? It makes no sense. You are a Christian. And those people in Russia, regardless if you agree with them or not, are image bearers of God. Absolutely. Think about that. Somebody asked me the other day in our discussion group about, uh, I shared a, a, an article by Keith Giles about the use of the sword in, in Luke. Why did Jesus tell him to get a sword? And he asked me, he goes, do you think that you can, and I apologize, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but do you think that it's from the mind or the heart with violence? I said, I think if you look at violence, honestly, through the lens of Christ, if you see it that way, then it changes your perspective. And then you understand that those people are image bearers of God. I don't care if you agree or disagree with them or not. God created them just like he created you. He didn't create just America. <laughs> he didn't even create America. But you know what I'm saying? Everybody in this country is no different than Russians, Ukrainians, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, North Korea, South Korea. You know what I'm saying? He created all of us. And they were all image bearers of God. So if you can take a step back and look at that honestly, then you're like, hang on a second. Violence is not the way. Yeah. Because it does. It speaks against everything that Jesus was teaching us. Well, this is what baffles me about the endless support in the church for, for the war machine. Because I'm like, you know, the only good those planes might be able to do that drop bombs is if you took all those gun racks off and you took all those bomb racks off and you put little parachute racks on there and they just dropped Bibles all over the world. I could see, I could get behind that. At least you're putting a, you know, one of those F-22s and F-35s and B-1 bombers, put them to use. Or just drop yeah, in okay, some we're gonna, food. 
Give them something to eat. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's, you know, you, you come back to it and it's set for, you know, right there in the beginning of Deuteronomy and 17, it says, you know, you don't want a ruler that wants to build armies, but what do we do? Our rulers build armies. The The United States is what Scott Horton said, the, you know, the eight, the, the next eight countries in the world don't spend as much on the military as the United States does. The next eight countries in the world. Yet I'm supposed to think that China's a threat to me? <laughs> no, hang on a second. I love that because somebody, I don't know what was going on with China and, and, and the Saudis, but something happened where they were kind of working together to do, I don't remember what it was, something to do with getting away from the U.S. dollar or something. And this guy at work, he goes, you better start arming up. You better start storing some food because China is our biggest enemy. I was like, he goes, don't you think that China is our biggest enemy? I was like, no, my biggest enemy is my very own government. China's not stealing money out of my paycheck. China's not even anywhere here in the United States. He goes, well, I kind of understand that. I get that. But I don't think you do. If you sit there and thought, if you took, if you thought about it, honestly, is China really a threat to you? Well, you know, this is one of those, Bill, I, I wish Muhammad Ali was able to have continued talking his last 20 years. You know, he, and I'm going to, you know, we're butchering paraphrases here, but if you remember when he refused to sign up for the draft, he said, you know, ain't no Viet Cong ever threatened me. <laughs> ain't no Chinaman ever threatened me. The person that's threatened me is you. Yeah. And it's the same today. And so the, 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 you know, God said right there in Deuteronomy, you, you don't want a king that drives you back to Egypt, that seeks all these chariots, that wants to make war. And yet, what do we do? That's exactly what does everyone, if you were, a, if you were running for office and said you were going to cut the military budget, you wouldn't make the next debate. We saw it happen with Ron Paul. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and so, you know, the modern king, you know, it, it again, it says, you know, the, the king should only, you know, he's going to demand 10% of your livestock. He's going to demand 10% of your harvest. He's going to demand this. Well, we're paying a heck of a lot more than 10% right now. And everybody is. I don't think Americans really understand the fact that we were better off as a monarchy under, under England than we are as, as a supposed republic in the United States. What they what they started fighting about a what a three percent tax was it even three percent? I think it was less than three percent. Okay, so and now we're getting taxed to our knees. Who really is your who who really is threatening you right now? Yeah, Muhammad Ali had it right. You know, I used to think I, I think about him quite a bit some because I used to think he was a coward. And since we started this project, the more I've listened, the more I've gone along and talked to people, and then I. Uh, Go back and listen to what he was saying, just like you were talking about. I think that man was a hero. He absolutely was. Yeah. I, I've had a, you know, I've had a serious change of heart regarding him. And then all these other people that are, you know, that have actually stood up to the war machine and said, no, nah, we're not going to do that. And so I read, I can't remember. Lawrence Vance has written a couple books on this topic. Can't remember what they're called, but, you know, it's just, there's so many people that have been heroes and said no, and every single one of them, the government has lined up to destroy their lives. If you, if you don't agree to go along with the war machine, then, that, you know, of course, you and I, we're nobodies. If we owned a business and we didn't tow the line, they're going to line up against you. 
you know, when Kaepernick took a knee over police violence, it didn't, it wasn't about police violence. That's not how they framed. I mean, that's what he did. He was taking a knee over police violence. And they said, he's taking a knee to disrespect the flag and the military. No, that's not what he was doing. He was getting your attention to a problem that's going on. And they ran him out of football and have kept him out of it. And they forced everybody to toe the line on that. So now you've got teams, you know, guys don't even come out of the, you know, if they don't want to salute the flag or, or stand there, now they just stay in the locker room until that's done. Did you know that they did that anyway prior to 2009? I think it was 2009. Prior to that, they always stayed in the, in the locker room, and all that was for the fans. And then the government started spending money buying ads to support the NFL when it got in the NBA and the MLB, all that stuff. But prior to that, they all stayed in the locker room before that. They're going to force you to comply. Yeah. Nobody thinks of, I, I, I was talking to some folks about that at work. I always talk to people at work about this stuff, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure they're sick of hearing me. But they were they were talking about Kaepernick. It's like, I'm not going to watch NFL anymore until they start standing up and saluting the flag. I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm going to protest the NFL until this is changed. I'm like, you do understand that they were not – even on the field prior to 2009, when all that was going on, you would have never known. Yeah, you got to take that money and put them out there and fly the planes overhead. And- well, how many times are you watching a football game and you see recruiting uh, commercials for the Army? All the time. All the time. It, it is so ingrained and so co-opted by the state. I'm going to watch football. I don't care if a man takes a knee. I don't care if he stands on his head during the national anthem. I don't care. Kaepernick did that. I was like, I don't, I don't care. I understand what he's doing, but it does. I don't care. I just want to watch people hit each other. Hopefully, the Dallas Cowboys can win a football game, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I won't be sad later. But I don't care about all this stuff because I, I told somebody one time during when all that was going on, I said, you know what? If people stop focusing on it, they wouldn't matter. Absolutely. But they've made you focus on it for a reason. Yeah, it's the circus part of our bread and circuses. It, and, and I know that going in when I watch football, that I know I'm watching a spectacle, but I just love the game. And so I keep watching it. But yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't count out any of their, you know, what is it? I, I don't, I don't watch the NBA, but I see, you know, they put stuff on the baselines. They put stuff on their jerseys. I'm just like, whatever, you know, whatever, man. I, it, however, it just, it's not even a game I can watch because of the product on the floor. So you could do whatever you want on the sidelines and you're not going to reach me. So we've mostly talked about just about everything, but the article. So the, the next question is, is there a normal kind of person who's fit to be King? That's what I was fixing to get to. I really don't think there is. And the, the point, you know, that God was making here in Deuteronomy and then that he makes in Samuel is you want a king because everybody around you has one, and you think that gives you some kind of, you know, just earthly powers. But I'm the one who provides the reins. I'm the one who made the land. I'm the one who did everything. The only one who should be king is Jesus. And not there ain't as, you know what? I think I'm a pretty uh, morally, fairly morally upstanding guy. But make me present, and I'm going to make people do things they don't want to do. You know, 
Now, in my mind, I'd be thinking, well, I'm doing the right things by making people do these things that I want them to, you know, to, I want to use the power of the state to force them to act how I think a morally upright person should, which is completely not morally upright. And so there's not a single person fit to be king, not a single person fit to be president, unless you want a president who wants to make war, who wants to raise taxes, who wants to spend money, who wants to keep the population in poverty and on a plantation. Yeah, then you go vote. But if you don't want all those things, you shouldn't vote because nobody's going to be able to do a, nobody can do what Jesus can do. None of us. I love the argument from from libertarians on, on this topic because they think that if they got into power, somehow this would, stuff would go away. And I'm like, I don't believe you. I do not believe you. There's a reason why you're seeking power. And it's not because you want to spread a message of liberty. If you wanted to spread a message of liberty, then you'd be talking about Jesus Christ. You wouldn't be talking about, well, if I get this guy elected, if we get more libertarians in office, then it's going to change things. This guy at work the other day told me, he goes, I think you should probably run for office. I've, I've heard this from too many people. And I'm like, no, I have no interest in trying to change the mafia from the inside. It's impossible. You cannot do it. You cannot change the mafia from the inside. You want to change the mafia? You got to change your hearts. You know how we change people's hearts? You talk about Jesus Christ. You talk about the teachings of Christ. Somebody on my Facebook page the other day told me that she goes, well, there's a chance that, that Jesus wasn't even a real person. I said, like, all right, let's assume for a second that you're, that you're right. Let's assume for a second. But what have we lost by following his teachings? What have we lost? Even if he's not a real person, think about what he was saying. Let's try that. Let's try as Christians to work on the fringes of society, helping those in need, feeding the poor, helping our neighbor, even loving our enemy. Man, can you imagine what would change in this world if we even tried that? Christians are so corrupted by the state, by being ingrained with the state, that they can't even see that. So last weekend, I preached out of Luke 12. And so this guy, you know, Jesus is right there, the the scribes and the Pharisees are trying to trip him up. He's been teaching this large, this large crowd is gathered around him and he is just dropping truth bombs and people are just eating it up. And then this one knucklehead comes out of the crowd and he's like, teacher, would you tell my brother to share his inheritance with me? And when I was reading, I was like, man, this has got to be a true story because only a person would do that sitting there with God in front of him dropping truth bombs and his mind is on his inheritance and that his brother's getting it all and he's not getting anything. And so he stops this middle of this teaching and says, would you tell my brother to share the inheritance with me? And, I, it, and as I was reading that again, I was like, wow, this is such, and Jesus didn't, doesn't miss a beat. He's like, dude, who am I to tell your brother to do that? That, you know, so he didn't take the bait and and go against the cultural norm. He said, let me tell you a story about this guy. There was this guy who owned some land and it produced way more than he needed. And it filled his barns up and it kept producing more. And so instead of him going, wow, I have all this stuff. Let me sell it for less or give it away. He said, how am I going to keep all of this myself. So he tore down the barns that he already had, erected new barns and said, now when the harvest comes in, I'll get to keep everything for myself. 
and I'm going to be be able to just sit back and relax and eat, drink, and be merry. And, and then Jesus says, but you know what happened? God came that night and said, tonight is it. You're going to take your last breath. And what is all that stuff you did? And so God at that point was like, you missed the point. And then if, if you go down to the verse 31 in Luke 12, it says, the thing you're supposed to do is seek first the kingdom of God. Seek that first because God knows you need food. He knows you need clothing. He knows you need shelter. He knows you want security. He knows you want you, you don't only want those, but you need those things. But the one thing you don't do is you don't chase, chase after the kingdom. You chase after those four things that God will provide for you if you go after the kingdom. And we have the whole world upside down. We go after those four things, food, shelter, security, and clothing. And the kingdom, you know, that's in the trunk. We might get to it every now and then. We might have a VBS. We'll volunteer at VBS in the summertime and give the church, you know, three three days out of the summer to do. Meanwhile, God says to do the exact opposite. Jesus says, no, you pursue the kingdom from morning till sunrise or sunset. All day long, you pursue the kingdom. And if you're doing that, God's going to provide everything else for you. But we don't want to hear that in the church. And so, yeah, that was, I preached that last week and, and people don't want to hear it because, you know, how many people are telling people about Jesus in the church? How many? Not very many. No, it, it, that I, that stuff is so interesting because he's already said it's going to be provided and, and yet people still worry about it. Exactly. Yeah. He says right in that chat, in that chapter, don't be anxious for these things. Don't worry about those things. God already knows what you need. Exactly. What are you worried about? But we've got it upside down. Those are the things, and that and that's only Satan could do that. Only Satan could convince us that, that we need to spend our entire life chasing those four things because he knows if we're doing that, we're not chasing the kingdom of God and we're not pursuing God and righteousness. Because it's hard, you know, if you're at work all day long, who likes being at work? It hurts, you know, it hurts your attitude. You're not at home with your kids. You know, now it's got so expensive to be an American. Your wife has to work at the same time. So now both of you are out there working. The kids, you drop them off at public school where they can be indoctrinated to become the next members of the plantation. And the problem is nobody's pursuing the kingdom of God. And then when we, you know, develop a heart problem at 60 and we don't make it quite to retirement, we're like, man, I wasted my entire life. I should have just pursued the kingdom of God and the righteousness of Jesus because everything else would have been fine. Maybe I wouldn't have had the biggest house. Maybe I wouldn't have had an $85,000 pickup, but I wouldn't be sitting on my deathbed regretting what I did with my life. I would know that I had taken every breath for God and his kingdom and not the United States and its treasury. Man, I drove by a, a, a Chevy dealership the other day, and I saw this beautiful Silverado <laughs> sitting out there. And my truck's paid for. And I was sitting there. I was like, man, just go look at it. And I did. I just kept. I just went on home because I know I'm not very smart when it comes to those decisions sometimes. <laughs> and I can't believe the prices of, of, of trucks these days. Because I bought my truck back in 2014, and... I, somebody was telling me about this. This guy I work with bought a new Toyota, and he told me how much it cost. I was like, "Good grief!" Before I let you go, I got one more question because this is something I run into quite a bit, and I think a lot of people that listen to the show run into a lot of bit or run into a lot. So, 
how do you handle the question with or this statement that God puts presidents in power? If God is putting presidents in power, did he really put George Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Joe Biden power? Well, I, I think that's an ignorant statement. I mean, that's that's putting that that is a deterministic viewpoint, saying that God controls and de, and does determines every single thing that happens in the world. That means you know God then determines all the good and the bad. Those those people are picked by men and women. Those are so hand picked because they're the most corrupt people. And that's why they get picked for those jobs. God's not picking the most corrupt pe- person to put it. Now, God can use corrupt leaders and he can use earthly leaders to get his will done. But God's not going to put a just a corrupt, bloodthirsty individual in power because that, that's not what God does. God allows men and women to do what they want to do. He gives us the free will to choose and we almost always choose wrong. So yeah, God didn't put who's Biden on the the throne in the United States. He's not handpicked by God to be the president right now. He was picked by a bunch of people. You know, we could go, that's a whole nother topic right there. <laughs> but he was picked well beforehand and put on the throne in the United States, and it wasn't by God. Now, that doesn't mean God was picking Trump, because he certainly wasn't picking Trump either. God's not going to pick these. I mean, we've talked this, this entire discussion has been, God's going to pick your next king and the king. And he did. God picked Jesus. We should all only have him on the throne. There you go. He did pick the king. He picked, you know, we can call Jesus the president. We can call him the prime minister. God has him ready to be the leader of every single person's life in the entire world. We just reject him as leader and we want a king instead, an earthly king. Man, brother, I love your article. And I love the fact that you you take the time to spend some time with me to talk about these things. I, I really always enjoy our conversations. And, I, and, and thank you again for coming on the show. I'm sure we're going to do this again at some point because, like I said, you took the bait like a starving catfish. I'm, I'm looking forward to your next article when you get time to write for us. I, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. You, you don't know how much it means to me when people do that for the for the website because it really helps the project it really helps getting that keeping that message going out and it really means a world to all of us that, that people take the time to sit down and write something for us and i encourage anybody listening to this if you've got an idea about anything that in regards to this project write it down send it to us badroom.com the badroom podcast at gmail.com send it to us we we really do enjoy the the interaction we enjoy the uh, engagement with folks and and do you got anything you want to plug before i let you get out of here well, I guess I've written a handful of books, and if people wanted to help keep me fed, I would greatly appreciate it if they went to the Amazon machine or and ordered some of my books. I, my last one, The Genetic God, I think Christians would really like. And so, you know, just that, and, and I'm appreciative, Craig, of what you're doing here because I can't think of his name now, but the guy who you and Abby have been talking to that has those books— I'm buying his books because I'm like, this is a really interesting topic. And so I'm going to buy his books because I like what he's doing. I like what he's doing with you guys. And so you're giving people a platform and helping them out. And so thank you for that. Yes, sir. That's one thing I wanted to do with this project is to, I never wanted it to be about me. Not not, Not whatsoever. So 
if we could use our small platform to help promote somebody else and what they're doing out there, because we need that. We need to help others get their message out. And I, I'm a big fan of getting people on the show so they can tell other people about the stuff they're doing out there. Cause there's a lot of stuff going on out there that people haven't heard of yet. And if they can hear about it on the bad Roman podcast, that's pretty cool to me. I'm a big fan of that. Well, the, the thing about it, what it does is it keeps, cause we all feel isolated and there's people right now that are in their churches gritting their teeth every single time. One of these big national holidays comes up and they're like, this isn't what we should be doing in church today. You know, there's people all across the country that, are thinking rightly about how they should ha- actively practice their faith, but they always feel isolated because there's just not that many of us. And, and you know, Elijah felt isolated. He was on the, you know, he was ready to commit suicide. He felt so isolated. And God's like, no, dude, I have 7,000 who haven't bent the knee to ball. Don't you worry about it. You're not alone. And so, you know, I often feel very alone especially as a pastor, you know, I know that there's just not many like that think this way in the pastorate. And so it it gets, that's why this is so important because all those people that are feeling alone out there and maybe stopped going to church or, or even don't go to church because they think it's just no, it's a complete waste of time. This lets them know, wait a minute, it's not all bad. There's good out there that's being done and I'm not alone. Yeah, that is, that is so true. That is so true. And I think that's something we need to keep in mind is that we're not alone. I've, I've learned that through this project. I've learned that by talking to folks like you on the show and in our discussion group on Facebook. You know, just it, it's amazing to me how just how many more people out there are thinking like we do. If we'd have never done this. If I had not got involved with any Christian anarchist circles, I wouldn't know. I would seriously think that I was by myself. Like I, when I started understanding anarchy and started understand how it aligns with my faith, I thought I'd discovered something new. <laughs> Roger. But it's not it's not the true it's not the true at all. If you go back to the early church, those guys were anarchists. They didn't call themselves anarchists. Yeah. It's the it's the it's the way Christians should be behaving. Jesus freed us from thinking the way that we think today. He freed us from that. He broke those shackles. Yeah. But the government is extremely good at getting people to put those shackles back on. Easily. All they gotta do is make you scared. And I think that that's a lot of what's going on is people have walked away from the security that Jesus and the freedom that Jesus gave us because it, because it is the same thing that happened to the church. We're, we're going to go on another rant here, but it's the same thing that happened with Constantine because he provided them some kind of security when they were being absolutely executed by the state. Right. And they fell, they fell for it like uh starving catfish. All right, buddy, I'm going to let you get out of here and get back to your family and go feed those three dogs and two cats and tell your wife to stop bringing them home. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com.